happy, blessed Father's Day. I praise God for all the fathers who are listening. I want all of us to begin this service by praying for all fathers all over the world. Father God in heaven, we thank you for fathers. We thank you that apart from you, fathers will not know how to be effective, relevant, and being a good father. So I pray that you guide all of us fathers to become more and more Christ-like so that we can represent you and we can influence our children to come to know you. Guide all the fathers. And I pray for those families without fathers that they will experience and realize the ultimate father is you, our Heavenly Father. Comfort all families that you are a father that will never forsake us. I now commit to you this worship service from beginning to end. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Somebody sent me a story this morning as I was preparing to share with all of you. It's the story of an Asian who was very smart, very high IQ. He was accepted to the best school in his country. Upon graduation, he was able to go to the United States and he got his MBA. And he landed an amazing job, high salary. He married a wonderful lady. They have wonderful children. His career was on the rise. He bought a big house, five bedrooms, bought luxury cars. And then the most unimaginable thing happened. He shot his wife and all of his children and he committed suicide. An investigation was conducted. What happened to this family? What happened to this man? They discovered this man was about to lose his job. His salary was reduced. And he was about to have problems paying the mortgages. And because of that, he decided to end it all. And the message sent to me was to teach fathers, not just to teach your children how to be successful, but more important is how do you deal with failures? As somebody once said, success is a lousy teacher. Failure teaches you more. This morning, I want us to look at how do we deal with failures? Because failures, for many of us, is inevitable. The question is, what do we do? And I praise God that the Bible tells us how do we deal with failures. Have you ever made a bad decision? It was so bad that up to now, you are regretting. Up to now, you are struggling with a guilt complex. You feel like it's so bad. You feel guilty. I always tell people there are different kinds of mistakes. One is a mistake of the mind. You make a decision, but because 
of incomplete information, like investing in a company, putting up a business, it's a mistake. That's one kind of failure, one kind of mistake, honest mistake. There's another mistake, which to me is the most tragic. I call that the mistake of the heart. It has to do with moral failure. You know it is wrong, but you still went ahead and you did it. That kind of failure to me is most painful. So how do we deal with this kind of failure? It is so important. We need to learn. Psalm chapter 32 is such an amazing psalm. It deals with failure. It deals with how do you recover? So today, I want to share with you our topic in Psalm 32. It's called Repent. God Restores. This is an amazing reality that God is not just a God of the first chance, second chance, third chance, but God restores. You will notice Throughout the Bible, God promised restoration. For example, in the Old Testament, you have the story of what Joel wrote about. Because of sin, God did something. There was judgment. And this is what happened because of the sin of the people. The Bible says, what the knowing locust has left, the swarming locust has eaten. What the swarming locust has left, the creeping locust has eaten. What the creeping locust has left, the stripping locust has eaten. In other words, total devastation. What's the solution? You notice in Joel chapter 2, the Bible says, even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart. God is saying, repent, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, weeping, and mourning. That's another word for repentance. Blow a trumpet in Zion. Consecrate a fast. Proclaim a solemn assembly. In other words, God wants us to realize Restoration is promised when there is repentance. Notice what happened, the promise of God. Then I will make up for you for the years that the swarming locust has eaten, the creeping locust, the stripping locust, and the gnawing locust. I like the following verses. I will make up for you. God is saying, whatever the locust has eaten, I want to make up for you. You will have plenty to eat and be satisfied and praise the name of the Lord your God who has dealt wondrously with you. Many of us have claimed this amazing promise. Some of us feel like our youth have disappeared. Our marriages have been in shaky ground. You have lost a lot. But one thing I can share with you, if there is real repentance, there's going to be restorations. 
God knows how to make it up. And that is what happened in Psalm 32. Let's read this together, Psalm 32. How blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. How blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity, in whose spirit there is no deceit. Notice the grammar. It's an amazing promise. He begins by saying, how blessed. The word blessed here is in the plural. You could have translated it this way. How blessednesses, plural, full of blessings, blessings upon blessings. Who is the audience? How blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. This is addressed to sinners. In other words, God is saying failure is never final. Perhaps you have done the unthinkable and you think your life is finished. God is saying, it is not just possible, I will restore you. I'm going to even make it better. I will make you so happy. But there are conditions. If you read the book of Psalm, the promise of blessedness, joyfulness, is contained in the first chapter of Psalm. For example, Psalm 1, it talks about how blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. His delight is in the law of the Lord. In his law, he meditates day and night. Here is the promised blessing. God is saying, how blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. You don't follow the ways of the wicked. You don't stand in the path of sinners. You don't sit in the seat of scoffers. In other words, you are a righteous man. You delight in God. The promise is joyfulness, happiness. This is the problem. What happens if you fail? And that's where Psalm 32 comes in. Psalm 32 is like a counterbalance of Psalm 1. You are blessed if you follow the Lord, but what if you fail? So Psalm 32 tells us. God is the God of the first chance, second chance, third chance. God is saying, in order to be restored, God wants us to understand what it means to repent. For David, he learned to be very specific. How did he describe sin? He uses three different words to describe sin. The first word, he uses the word transgression. What is the meaning of the word transgression? It means you cross the line. Rebellion. You go against the commandments of God. The next word he used in Psalm chapter 32, verse 1 and 2, sin. Sin means you miss the target. You are below what God requires us to do. Below the standard. Iniquity. The word iniquity means perversion. Crooked. So David was very honest with God. He dealt with his sin. Notice, if you're willing to repent, what will God do? Here are the following words. 
God will forgive you. The word forgive comes from the word, he will carry the load. He will carry the burden. The next word the Bible uses is he will cover our sin. The word cover is from the word conceal. I'm going to hide it. Many times we want to cover up our own sin. We want to impress people. But God is saying, if you learn to repent, I will cover your sin. Amazing promises. And then God tells us, I will not impute. The word not impute is an, is an accounting term. It means I will not count. I'll remove it. So God tells us this is what happens when we learn to repent. Notice the result of coming to God, being honest. The spirit is removed of deceitfulness. The truth is many times we are deceitful. So, what do we mean by repentance? I'm going to explain this to you. The outline of Psalm 32 is very basic. It talks about the promise of restoration. But what's the process? It's by God's grace. God initiates. By God's grace, we admit. By God's grace, we accept responsibility. By God's grace, we learn to accept consequences and by God's grace, we receive forgiveness. You see this in Psalm 32. So let's read. What do we mean by repentance is the work of God? He initiates. Look at what the psalmist explained. When I kept silent about my sin, my body wasted away through my groaning all day long. Day and night, your hand was heavy upon me my vitality was drained away as with the fever heat of summer. Selah. Remember the word Selah? Think about it. Pause. What was happening? David was saying, when he kept silent, when he did not deal with his sin, it affected him. My body wasted away. You see, sin will impact your physical life, it will impact your emotional life. He talks about my groaning all day long. He talks about day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was drained away as with the fever heat of summer. David is saying, I am drying up. I am at a loss. Why? You must understand. As Charles Spurgeon once said, God does not allow his children to sin successfully. God is going to do something. Why? Because God loves us. And he will not allow sin to just kind of stay with you. By God's grace, he wants us to repent. What happened to David? How come he kept silent about his sin? To understand the power of Psalm 32, you must know what happened. The Bible tells us David was at the height of his career. He was at the height of his power. He subjugated all the surrounding countries. He was successful. Notice, at the time when kings go out to battle, what did David do? David stayed at Jerusalem. 
when kings are supposed to be the leader, to lead his army, he was at home. When evening came, David arose from his bed, walked around on the roof of the king's house. Notice, evening came. What was David doing? Was he oversleeping? We don't know. But here's what happened. And from the roof, he saw a woman bathing. And the woman was very beautiful in appearance. David sent and inquired about the woman. And the one said, is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam? David sent messengers and took her. And when she came to him, he lay with her. This is probably one of the worst decisions of David's life. Everything was going well for him. He made a choice. He saw a beautiful woman. Instead of saying, this girl is married, he should have stopped. But he didn't. What did he do? He thought he was king. He could do anything. One decision led to another decision. Many times we don't realize how bad sin is. David probably never expected what was about to happen. But Sheba got pregnant and the Bible tells us he tried everything to bring the husband of Bathsheba back. But the husband of Bathsheba was a very faithful soldier. He refused to spend the night with his wife. He was a loyal soldier. He was very faithful to David. So what did David do? David issued a secret command to allow the man to die. And when the man died, by placing him in the front of the battle, this is what happened. When the wife of Uriah heard that Uriah, her husband, was dead, she mourned for her husband. When the time of mourning was over, David sent and brought her to his house, and she became his wife. She bore him a son. But the thing that David had done was evil in the sight of the Lord. This story reminds me that God sees everything. And many times, just like David, you can be walking with God, but because you are careless, you can do something that will cause you regret. Now, what do you do when tragedy happens? Is that the end? Well, David tried to hide his sin. That's why he said, my vitality was drained. I felt so miserable. What did God do? By grace, God always initiates. The Lord sent Nathan to David, and he came to him. I wonder what you would do if you were Nathan. How do you confront a king? But God sent Nathan. You go talk to David. Nathan, in faithfulness, went to see David. He came up with an amazing story. He wanted David to come to his senses and praise God. David came to his senses 
And Nathan said to David, David, why have you despised the word of the Lord by doing evil in his sight? You have struck down Uriah, the Hittite, with the sword, taken his wife to be your wife, and have killed him with the sword of the sons of Ammon. David was confronted with his sin. You know, many times, God uses people. God uses sickness. God uses circumstances to wake us up, to show us something is not right. In this case, God used Nathan. And what happened? David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, the Lord also has taken away your sin. You shall not die. Why did Nathan say you shall not die? When David admitted his sin, praise God. Do you know it is the work of God's grace to make us humble ourselves to admit our sin? But David experienced grace. Why do I say that? Because under the law, adultery is punishable by death. David was guilty of adultery. David was guilty of murder. He deserves to die. But God gave David grace. Nathan said, you are not going to die. But notice, forgiveness and grace does not mean there won't be any consequences. However, because by this deed, you have given occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme, the child also that is born to you shall surely die. One of the consequences is the enemies of God made fun of God, blaspheming the name of God. Another consequence is the child will die. If you keep reading the chapter, you will see. God told David, your family will be affected. Your children will be affected. Peace and order will be affected. David suffered a lot of consequences. Forgiveness is different from consequences. But God gives us grace. Do you know part of God's grace is the consequences of sin? Why? To teach us. Look at Romans chapter 2. Do you think lightly of the riches of His kindness and tolerance and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance? In my own life, I've seen the grace of God. And when I understand the grace of God, how He was so patient with me, it led me to repentance. God wants you to realize His love, His kindness, so that you and I will learn to repent. You see, repentance will result in restoration. What is repentance? Repentance is the work of God. It's admitting. Notice, David admitted, I acknowledge my sin to you. My iniquity I did not hide I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Selah. Think about this. Do you notice the number of times in this one verse the word I appeared? That's called admitting. I acknowledge my sin. My iniquity I did not hide. I said, I will confess my transgressions. And you forgave the guilt of my sin. When you admit, 
you assume responsibility. You don't blame others. David did not say, it's the mistake of Bathsheba. David said, it is my sin. When Nathan confronted David, scholars tell us, Psalm chapter 51 was written. After a while, this chapter was written. But let's look at Psalm 51. How did he confess? Be gracious to me, O God, according to your loving kindness. Do you notice? David appealed to the grace of God. Be gracious to me according to your loving kindness. David approached God knowing that God is gracious. Notice. According to the greatness of your compassion, blot out my transgression. David approached God based on his compassion, based on his grace, loving kindness. Not, I deserve to be forgiven. No, the truth is, when you admit your sin, when you confess, it's because you know God is gracious, God is compassionate. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. I know my transgressions. My sin is ever before me. In these three verses, the personal pronoun, I, me, appeared ten times. That's the meaning. You don't blame others. It's my sin. It's my fault. Many times, we don't accept responsibility. We blame others. The problem of blaming others, you will never improve. I'm reminded of husbands and wives. Many times we counsel them. And I notice, if the husband is blaming the wife, how in the world can the husband improve? It's not his fault, it's the wife's fault. Vice versa, if I talk to the wife, if my wife talks to the wife, and the wife is blaming the husband, how can the wife improve? You're blaming. Learn to accept personal responsibility. Admit. Accept responsibility. And you know what? Accept consequences. Many times, we get angry. Why? We don't understand. Friends, it is so important. Repentance means what? It is God's work. Repentance, you admit your mistake. You accept responsibility. And you accept consequences. You know, I love this quotation by Martin Luther. Martin Luther said, Our Lord and Master Jesus Christ willed the entire life of believers to be the one of repentance. Hello, CCF family. My name is Peter. It is my privilege to share with you how the Christian life is truly a life of continuous repentance. And like the verse that my father read at the beginning of his message, God restored to me the years I lost to the locus of sin in my life. I developed an uncontrollable addiction to gaming from a young age and felt I wasted so many years of my life. My gaming addiction affected everything, from my college where I would fall asleep in classes from staying up late at night, to my work where I was irresponsible, to my relationships with people where I was so selfishly focused on my own personal fun. Gaming led to pornography, poor exercise, terrible eating and sleeping habits affecting my health. I couldn't control or stop it. I was a slave to my appetites. Despite the sinfulness in my heart, God never let me go. The biggest breakthrough came one night 
again, struggling with my addictions, again, telling the Lord, I'm sorry. And God spoke to me and asked me to give him a year as I read the parable of the fig tree. I told him I'll try, but I need his help, that I couldn't do it without him. That was an amazing year. God changed me in so many ways. Till this day, the changes that God brought about remain. Looking back, I see how God indeed made up to me the years of my life that my sin ate away. I never thought I'd have a family because of my sinfulness. I have three amazing children and the most amazing wife. Though I'm still not perfect, the best part is God blessed me with a wife who absolutely detests seeing me waste my time gaming. So she's a great blessing to help keep my heart on that straight path from wandering too far. She is truly God's grace in my life. I never thought I'd effectively lead others, but I now have the privilege of leading a couple of small groups who are such a blessing to us. Sin does have its consequences. Don't get me wrong. There are things I would do differently if I could go back and do it all over again. But God in His power is able to make something beautiful of our mistakes. I cannot speak enough of the loving kindness of our God. My life is undeserved, but that's our God. And He has promised restoration and blessing to all those who repent and turn to Him. And even repenting is His grace and kindness to us as we go through it about our life. Thank you. To God be all the glory. Martin Luther understood that the Christian life is to grow. And repentance is not a one-time event. If you look at the Bible, it's a lifetime event. Why? So that you will keep on becoming more and more like Christ. For example, during this COVID-19, three months of isolation, just me and my wife, our family, I learned to see something about my own life. I began to realize there are certain things I need to change. For example, in my use of time, I began to realize I'm a steward of God's time. Just because there's lots of time does not mean I'm free to just keep watching movies or news. God convicted me. Peter, use your time wisely. I began to realize I must be sensitive to my wife, her feelings. Many times I take these things for granted. I take a lot of things that she does for the family for granted. And God said, you need to repent. I began to show more appreciation. You see, the Christian life is a life of repentance. Repentance, as we know, is basically not moaning or remorse, but turning and change. That's true repentance. It's from the word metanoia. You admit your mistake, and then you change your direction. You don't just feel bad. You don't, you don't just moan and groan. The Bible is very clear. In 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 9, notice, Paul is saying, I now rejoice, not that you were made sorrowful, but you were made sorrowful to the point of repentance. For you were made sorrowful according to the will of God. For the sorrow that is according to the will of God produces a repentance without regret leading to salvation, but the sorrow of the world produces death. See, true repentance is not just about emotion. 
true repentance may involve being sorry, being sorrowful, but it translates into change of action. It leads to drawing nearer to the Lord. That's salvation. Worldly sorrow, just feeling sorry, leads to death. And that's not true repentance. Repentance deals with a change of heart. It talks about you admit. And God is always at work. For example, in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5, the goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart, a good conscience, and sincere faith. Do you notice? God wants us to deal with conscience, a good conscience, because conscience, many times, it's God's Holy Spirit working in and through us to tell us you need to correct this. I always tell people conscience must be controlled by God's Spirit plus God's Word. Without God's Word, conscience can become distorted. You can become callous or you can become oversensitive. But God uses conscience. I always tell people, I can argue with my mind, but I cannot argue with my conscience. That's why the Bible tells us, keeping faith in a good conscience, which some have rejected and suffered shipwreck in regard to their faith. Don't neglect when God's Spirit is bothering you, you need to pause. You need to ask God, Lord, why do I feel bad? What does the Bible have to say? Lord, what do you have to say? But don't neglect it. When you neglect your conscience, the Bible warns us, you will suffer shipwreck spiritually. If you don't deal with sin in your heart, one sin will lead to another. I remember a girl who continuously felt guilty and she had no peace. And when she went to her pastor, her pastor asked her, what do you feel guilty about? Then the story came about, she aborted her child years ago. When she was married, or prior to marriage, she did an abortion. And then she was told, no matter what it is, God has forgiven you. But she could not forgive herself. She said, I cannot forgive myself. And then as they went deeper, they realized the issue was not about the abortion. The issue that's deeper was the sin behind the sin of abortion. The sin was, she was so focused on her image. She was so focused on her career. She wanted to look good. She didn't want people to know she got pregnant. So her real deep issue is all about her image. And until she dealt with it, and she said, Lord, I realize it's all about me, my pride, my selfishness. And when she understood the root problem, then she came to Jesus. And once you come to Jesus and you realize Jesus died and paid for all of our sins, he covered our sins with his blood, with his own life. Then and only then, you see experience the release of her guilt. Many times, young people, even couples, you struggle with guilt. 
And the reason is you have not understood forgiveness. Forgiveness is not because you deserve it, not because you earn it. It's not because of your works. It's not because of your righteousness. It's because of God's grace. You see, friends, when God bothers you, when conscience is bothered, you come to the Lord. And that's why I believe it is so important. This message is the secret of restoration. How are you restored? Repentance. Deal with the root problem. And the root problem is often sin. My daughter shared with me what happened to my grandson. Something happened to his foot. There was a wound. And the wound would not get well. And then she discovered why the wound would not get well. There was a piece of glass. One of the small pieces got stuck in the foot. But they didn't see it. They didn't realize it. And that wound will not heal until the broken glass was removed. The same thing with your life. Some of you may be hurting. And some of you may be physically sick. But the root problem is not medical. The root problem is spiritual. And God is saying, you need to deal with it. That's why repentance deals with the root problem. You admit your sin. Accept responsibility. Humbly accept the consequences. And then you accept God's forgiveness. You know, the Bible tells us, this is a promise from God. Notice the context of 1 John 1.9. If we confess, we, referring to believers, the book of 1 John was addressed to the church. Now he's talking about if we, believers, confess. The word confess is in the present tense. It is something that you do regularly. It's from the Greek word homo logeo. It means to agree with God. It is not begging God for forgiveness. It is admitting, agreeing, Lord, what I've done is wrong. That's the meaning. If we confess our sins to Him, notice, to God, to Jesus, He is faithful and righteous to forgive us and cleanse us. I love this word, forgive us and cleanse us from all, notice the word, all unrighteousness. And many times we have guilt. We struggle with guilt. Can I tell you why you struggle with guilt? The reason why you struggle with guilt, you have not known that forgiveness is because of Jesus. We experience forgiveness because of the finished works of Christ on the cross. As a result of experiencing forgiveness, we receive forgiveness. As Ricky shared with us a few weeks ago, forgiveness deals with our fellowship with God. Our relationship, father and child. When we come to Jesus, when we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior, our relationship is now father and son. However, that relationship between father and son can be affected, just like me and my children. If they did something wrong and they don't come to me and they don't admit it, 
My children remain to be my children. But there is this block. There is this barrier. Relationship and fellowship. The fellowship is affected. And God wants us to have intimate relationship. And that's why when we confess, when we repent, amazing results happen. You become more intimate. Therefore, let everyone who is godly pray to you in a time when you may be found. Surely in the flood of great waters, they will not reach him. David is saying, because of my experience, I will now advise you. Pray. Don't wait. Pray. Repent now. Pray. Who is godly? Pray to you in a time when you may be found. Many times Satan wants us to postpone repentance. He's saying, do it now. Don't wait. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Notice, God invites us to seek him while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Because there comes a point in life when you want to pray, but no more opportunity. Let the wicked forsake his way. Let the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord, and he will have compassion on him and to our God. He will abundantly pardon. This is what the Bible is saying. You make a choice. What's the choice? Choose the way of the Lord. Let the wicked forsake his way. Let the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord. This is the meaning of the word repentance. You change. You forsake your ways. And you choose to follow the ways of the Lord. And that's what David is saying. You need to make a choice in life. Because life is about choices. You are free to choose. But you are not free to escape the consequences. He reminds us. You are my hiding place. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with songs of deliverance. Selah, think about this. What are we going to think about this? The basis of our forgiveness, the basis of our security is God himself. Notice what he said, you, you are my hiding place. That's exactly what the New Testament is saying. When you are in Christ, God, covers our sin because of the blood of Jesus. When you are in Christ, God sees our sins paid for by Jesus. Jesus is the one that guarantees our forgiveness because of what he has done for us. It is not religion. It is not what you have done. It is what he has done for us. So repentance is really receiving the grace of God, humbling ourselves. And then notice the blessing of repentance. He tells us, we become intimate with the Lord. I will instruct you and teach you in the way which you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Who is speaking here? God is speaking through David. Because David experienced forgiveness. David learned his mistakes. And David is now speaking to us. But God speaks through David. So this is like God speaking to you and to me. God is saying, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you. Do not be as the horse or as the mule, 
which have no understanding, whose trappings include bit and bridle to hold them in check. Otherwise, they will not come near to you. The analogy is when you repent, you become sensitive. You begin to hear God's instructions. The truth is God speaks to us. But if you don't deal with sin, many times we stop listening. Not because God is not speaking, but because our heart has become callous. God speaks to us in many ways. He uses people. He uses God's word. That's why every day I, I like to read the Bible. I want to make sure I hear God's voice. And many times, sin will prevent you from listening to the voice of God. So David is saying, this is my advice. Don't be like the horse or the mule where you need to be controlled by bits and bridle. Do you know why that will control the horse or the mule? Mule is noted for stubbornness. The same thing with horses. You need to tame them. The bit and the bridle, it's painful when they don't follow instructions because you will yuck it. And God is saying, don't be stubborn. Repent so that you learn to listen. And then David is reminding us there are choices to make in life. There are choices you have to decide. What are those choices? Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but he who trusts in the Lord, loving kindness shall surround him. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous ones. Shout for joy, all you who are upright in heart. David is now saying, here are the choices you need to make. The ways of the righteous and the ways of the wicked. You know, many times, life is like a crossroad. You need to choose. You need to choose the way of the wicked or the way of the righteous. When the Bible uses the word wicked, many are the sorrows of the wicked. Wicked does not always mean murderer, rapist, adulterer, especially in the book of Psalms. The word wicked means someone who lives independently of God. Someone who believes he does not need God. The truth is, there are many of us. We believe in the existence of God, but we don't treat him as God. We come to him when we have problems. But when everything is solved, God is not the Lord of our lives. The Bible describes that as wickedness. When you take God lightly, when we don't honor him, that is wickedness. Especially when you live independently of God's will. What is the opposite? The opposite is somebody who depends on the Lord. Somebody who trusts. Who trusts in the Lord. Loving kindness shall surround him. Be glad in the Lord. Rejoice. The contrast between the wicked and the righteous. The righteous is someone who trusts in the Lord. So David is saying, there are two choices in life. Two decisions you need to make. And these decisions will determine your directions in life. Either 
to follow the Lord or to follow your own way. Directions will eventually lead to destination. It is never your desire that determines destination. It is directions in life. Your direction will determine your ultimate destination. Let me ask you a question. What is the, des what is the direction of your life today? Is it like the wicked? You are running your own life. Or is it the direction of the righteous? You are following God. Not perfection, but you are following the Lord. You honor Him. Two choices, two directions, two ultimate destinations. One, full of sorrow. Many are the sorrows of the wicked. The word sorrows means pain. David is writing from experience. David is saying, if you follow your own will, your own way, there's going to be a lot of pain. However, if you trust God, if you follow God, the result is joy. The result, notice he repeats the following words, loving kindness will surround him. Be glad, rejoice, shout for joy. That's the byproduct. That's the destination. A life of joy or a life of pain. The choice is yours. I pray that you learn to choose the ways of the Lord. And when do you do that? When do you make that choice? The Bible tells us today. Working together with Him, we urge you not to receive the grace of God in vain. You see, the grace of God is given, but don't receive it in vain. What does it mean? At the acceptable time, I listen to you. On the day of salvation, I help you. God is saying, this is the acceptable time. Behold, now is the acceptable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. He's talking about now. Now is the day. I praise God, especially for all those fathers. If God has been speaking to you, and then young men, young women, David is saying, learn from his mistake especially young people. Sometimes we want to go through life with difficult experiences. Somebody once shared this with me. Peter, experience is a very good teacher, but it is very painful. There are better ways of learning. Listen to people. I agree. Young people, two ways to live your life. Choose the way of the righteous, follow the Lord, come to Jesus. Because the way of the wicked, the way of the unrighteous is full of pain. And that's what the Bible is saying. You choose. It's never too late to change. But as my friend will tell me, it is never too late to change, but it is later than you think. And now is the day. Let us choose wisely. Let us turn to the Lord. I want to give all of you an opportunity to pray. If there is something in your heart, if there is sin in your heart, your conscience is bothered, God wants you to deal with it. I suggest deal with it today. Perhaps you need to forgive somebody. 
perhaps you need to call somebody and to admit your mistake. Whatever it is, don't wait. Because today is the day of salvation. God can give you a new beginning. Restoration is real. But you need to accept the grace of God. Learn to repent. Learn to change. Repentance is the work of the grace of God. He initiates. He enables us to admit. He enables us to accept responsibility. He enables us to accept the consequences. And God helps us to accept His forgiveness. If God has spoken to you, singles, fathers, mothers, husbands, wives, why don't you pray with me? I want us to experience God's grace today. I'm, I'm going to help you to come before God. Come clean. Let's pray something like this. Lord Jesus, I confess, I admit, I have sinned against you. I assume responsibility for my sinfulness. I accept my accountability. And now, Jesus, by faith, I accept your forgiveness. Thank you that you died on the cross for my sins. Thank you that I am forgiven. Not because I deserve it, but because of your grace. What you did for me on the cross, I now invite you as my personal Lord and Savior. Forgive my sins. I accept your gift of eternal life. Change my heart and help me to truly repent, knowing that it's by grace that we repent. In Jesus' name we all pray. Amen. And if this has been meaningful to you, kindly click on the space provided below. We like to chat with you. And may I remind us, may I remind all of you, this Wednesday, June 24, 25, 26, 27, Wednesday to Saturday at 7.30 p.m. For the first time, in the history of CCF, this will be a church-wide, Philippine-wide, worldwide event. We will fast and pray. We shall repent together for our own sins, for the sins of this country. We will pray that God will bless not just the Philippines, but all over the world. God will bring about a spiritual revival spiritual renewal. Let's all look forward to an amazing work of God, especially let's pray together for COVID-19 to be resolved. God bless you.